Welcome to PageCast, a podcast series brought to you by Jonathan Bull Publishers, aimed to give you the story behind the story. Before we start, we want to issue a disclaimer. Conversations hosted by PageCast are happening from all corners of the world. So if we do have any inconsistencies with sound, we ask for your understanding as a listener. I'm Joanne Joseph, broadcaster and author of Children of Sugarcane and Drug Mule, and a student of literature. You may know that books are my absolute passion, so what a privilege to be able to interview outstanding UK author Monica Ali. Perhaps you know her best for Brick Lane, which was also turned into a film. Of course, she's written a number of books since then, but most recently brought out a new book called Love Marriage after a 10-year hiatus. Monica Ali is the daughter of English and Bangladeshi parents. She arrived in England at the age of three and later studied at Oxford University. Monica's been hailed by critics as that rare thing, a writer who seemed to have found right at the beginning of her career and with absolute confidence her own voice. In all her novels, the choice of contemporary storylines and the focus on the connections between geography, identity and human relationships are strong and compelling themes that make her stand apart from many other writers. Monica, what a joy to be able to speak to you today. Welcome to PageCast. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to having a chat with you. Well, I'm going to give our listeners an overview of what Love Marriage is all about. It centers on a young British doctor of Bangladeshi and Islamic descent, Yasmin Garami, who's preparing to marry a fellow UK doctor, Joe Sangster. In some ways, they're just like any other British couple, but they're also both rooted in vastly different types of families and cultures. The book meditates on the couple's relationship, their intra-family relations, the coming together of two entirely different groups of people, and how this impending matrimony changes and challenges all of them in one way or another. So Monica, you'll forgive me if I don't do a blow-by-blow account of the plot with spoilers, but uh, look at some of your background as a writer, the themes and your treatment of these themes in love marriage. After Brick Lane, you wrote a few other novels, uh, Alentejo Blue, In the Kitchen, Untold Story, which I found really intriguing personally. And then you took a break from writing novels for a decade. Why is that? Well, you know, I've just been lazy, lolling around, eating grapes. <laughs> and, um, no, I, I, what happened was I had a lot of confidence. And um, I mean, it's very good, I think, as a writer to have a level of self-doubt because you always want to be testing every single sentence, every paragraph and page and, you know, wanting to make it better. But um, a total loss of confidence is just catastrophic because alongside the self-doubt, you need to have some self-belief. So um, I stopped writing and then because I wasn't writing, I think, I sort of got quite down and depressed. And that then it was a vicious cycle, you know, like a downward spiral. So... Um, But the good thing is that I eventually came out of it. And oddly enough, what helped me to come out of it was I started to try to write for television. I think basically because I was watching a lot of television at the time. And I thought maybe maybe I can do that. And um, nothing got um, actually made and produced, but I was working with a number of different TV companies and I'd have scripts commissioned. And I just rediscovered the joy of writing. And that's, you know, 
it's actually all come back around because um, the TV rights for Love Marriage were auctioned and I'm now working with new pictures uh, who are fantastic and it's in development with the BBC. So, you know, fingers crossed. I'm so delighted to hear about that and, and so happy to celebrate your, your coming back onto the, the literary scene, even though you have been working very much in television for the last few years. Can, can you give me a sense of how screenwriting impacts your, your work as a writer of prose or has impacted it, particularly in love marriage? Well, that's a really good question. And I don't really know the answer. Um, you know, my, as you mentioned at the, the beginning, my first novel, Brick Lane, was made into a, a movie. Um, and I think it had, in the scenes in Brick Marriage, I think they had some cinematic quality already that made it adaptable. Um, so I don't really know how, how it's changed for Love Marriage. Um, the, the chapters are quite short in Love Marriage, which I hope make, helps to make it quite a propulsive read, but maybe that's been an influence from trying my hand at screenwriting. But, I, I, you know, I honestly don't know. That's, that's the bottom line. I don't know. Yes, perhaps you've, you've always been a filmic writer, as you say, in terms of um, Brick Lane, using Brick Lane as a, as a very good example of that. For how long has Love Marriage actually been brewing in your head and your heart and your soul? Well, I started writing it in 2016, um, and then I delivered it 2020, I think it was September, it was um, sold to Virago here. Um, so it took about four years to write, and before that I'd been playing around with two separate stories, actually. Um, one about... Yasmin, who, as you said, is a junior doctor in a big London hospital. Um, she's actually of Indian descent rather than Bangladeshi descent. Um, her parents are from Calcutta, which is in India. Um, so they're Bengali, but, you know, different side of the border. Um, it was I was playing around with her story and also with Harriet's story. Now, Harriet is Joe's mother and, and therefore... Yasmin's prospective um, mother-in-law and she is a kind of North London liberal lovey famous feminist famous in particular for her memoir about all her lovers and I wasn't sure that I was going to end up writing either story as uh, a full-length novel but then I had a light bulb moment and I thought what if I put them together and as soon as I had that idea, it was, um, I just knew that it was going to be a lot of fun to write. And I knew that was the, the book that I had to write as well. It, it's such a fascinating, but also explosive concoction in so many ways. And you have a real knack of using personal relationships to explore the political. So in Love Marriage, these are the vehicles through which you explore racism, it's microaggressions, notions of gender and feminism, religion, migration, the social integration of migrants and their children over generations. There are just so many themes. How difficult is it to balance these themes so that they don't overpower the character arcs or the basic narrative that you're trying to tell? So for me, the, all, all my writing comes from character. I mean, it, every single thing, every 
aspect of <laughs> the work for me is a about the character and who these people are. Um, you know, setting comes out of character. Who is Harriet? Where, therefore, would she live? Um, it, 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 it's so it becomes an organic process. That's what I'm trying to say. That I don't feel any need to overlay themes or topics or ideas. I mean, Yasmin is um, of Indian origin. I mean, she's born and bred in London, but she's of Indian descent. So she is going to naturally uh, face issues of discrimination or potential discrimination um, within her professional life. Um, that's just a fact. So that's going to come out. So there's no need <laughs> for me to sort of, you know, kind of crowbar anything in. Um, and I hope that comes across. That's a serious book, I hope. You know, it deals with some serious things. But I also hope it's a funny book. You know, there's... Um, there's a lot of humour in it, um, I hope. Uh, absolutely. And, and your humour does the heavy lifting. Um, I mean, I, I think there's humour, I think there's pathos too in some of these scenes in revealing some of the really uncomfortable truths. And, and do you think that makes your social commentary, which you are saying is unintended, but is nevertheless nestled in there, more accessible to readers of fiction who don't want to tackle these topics within the domain of nonfiction or newspapers, for example? Yeah, well, you know, that, that that would be a bonus, I guess. I mean, what I want is for, for readers to want to turn the page, to enjoy the journey, to want to know what happens next. And if it raises some of those questions in their minds about, basically about the assumptions that we all make about other people, if it raises some questions about that, then, you know, that's fantastic. But I have to say, I'm not, it's intending to set out to preach from some kind of pulpit. I mean, Yasmin quite rightly resents it when people make assumptions about her on the basis of her gender or her ethnicity or whatever else. But Yasmin makes assumptions left, right and centre, you know, including about um, Harriet, whose intentions she is strongly suspicious of, um, but Harriet has a good heart at bottom, uh, and you know, and Harriet redeems herself. So it, it, it's not a one-way street. You know, it's something fundamental to human nature. I think that we have inbuilt suspicions and prejudices, and just you know, downright lazy assumptions. I think. Yeah, yeah, that comes through very strongly in the novel. And I think it is going to be read on so many different levels, Monica, because of the way you've layered it. But of course, sex is quite central to the novel. It, it makes complete sense, obviously, because it, the, the novel centers on marriages and relationships. But when it's not overtly being thought about or spoken by your characters, it's still always simmering under the surface in so many ways. I thought you used it as a very interesting tool, not just to speak about sex itself, but as a means of unearthing some central truth about each character. How useful was it as a tool in the novel? No, you're, you're absolutely right. It, it, it's sort of the backbone, if you like. It, it forms the narrative spine. I mean, virtually all of the major events or turning points in the novel are 
linked to sex in some way. So, you know, there's there's infidelity, revenge sex, um, sex addiction, um, issues of sexual identity or sexual violence. Um, so it really, it really is what propels the story. It's also how um, the protagonist, Joe and Yasmin, often grapple with their identities or, or mature into them or um, also how much of the conflict and the drama is created within the family dynamics. And to put it succinctly, it is every character's weakness and it's every character's strength. So it's it's an enormously powerful lens, I think, for looking at you know, secrets and lies and shame and guilt and also the converse, you know, finding... Uh, your um, true desires, freeing yourself from expectations, um, experimenting, you know, finding those kind of freedoms as well. So it's not full of sex as in there's only two very, you know, pretty short sex scenes, but sex is something that's, uh, you know, present... um, either in the background or suppressed or expressed in everybody's life. So, yeah, it was a really useful tool. You know, it, it's interesting. I'm listening to you talk about these characters and about your, your two protagonists, Yasmin and, and Joe. And I, I wanted to call them protagonists, but I also thought they were other characters. I found even more absorbing than the two of them. And and part of me thinks of Joe and, and Yasmin as catalysts for the action that their impending nuptials set in motion. Is that fair to the two of them? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, there are, there are, there's a very strong supporting cast, I hope. And I, I, I think, you know, Anissa, who is Yasmin's mother, is one of my favourite characters. Um, she's somebody who, you know, Yasmin loves deeply, but sort of doesn't recognise as a an independent separate real person she's just ma she's just mum in the kitchen cooking and filling lots of tupperware and it's only really when um harriet takes anisa under her wing that yasmin starts to see ma as somebody who was actually quite an extraordinary person in her own right I, I love her. I think she's my favorite character in the book. And I think for many of us, as Anissa Gurami is going to be that, the, the most endearing character in the book for so many reasons. There's something comic about her on the face of it, her neologisms, her representation of so many moms in the Indian diaspora, right, I think in many ways. But but you've also built such a depth into her that, that reveals that she's so much more She's about so much more than than she's given credit for within the domestic domain. How important, how important was that relationship between her and Harriet to bring her to the fore? Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was very important. Um, I mean, less I think for Anissa herself, who has actually always been her own person and her own woman, whether whether Yasmin saw it or not, um, it was more important in terms of, of 
the scales falling from Yasmin's eyes, I think. Um, and Harriet, the, the, the interactions with Harriet, of course, provide some comic relief, but also it's, it's a real and true friendship. You know, that's um, that's what Jasmine sort of comes to comes to learn. But but it's a complicated friendship in a way at at first anyway, and and this was something that that struck me. Um, I mean, of course, the the relationship that Harriet and Anissa form as the two mothers-in-law changes both of them, but but seems in in my in my eyes to truly transform Anissa, or to as you suggest, bring her into the spotlight in a way she has never been able to own it before. But it made me also think a little bit about our society that's battling with real integration. Uh, across races and cultures. And I thought of the many instances I've seen on social media, for example, where white people put their black or Asian friends and their cultures on display to demonstrate how liberal they are. And and there was one part of the novel that struck me. I had to go back and reread it a couple of times because it, it, res- it resounded so well with the, with the South African situation. Um, and, and it's Yasmin's thoughts on her mother's interaction with Harriet um, and she says, Ma probably felt uncomfortable at Harriet's house, although she enjoyed being the center of attention at the salon. Deep down, perhaps she knew she was being studied like an exhibit in a human zoo, like some anthropological specimen. And I wondered, is this Yasmin's interpretation of Harriet's relationship with with her mother? Or is this something that, that we should acknowledge happens socially? among liberals fairly often. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've been on the receiving end, I feel, at various <laughs> points in my life. So I know exactly how Yasmin feels. Um, yeah. you, you know, um, Harriet is uh, an example of sort of um, integration by steamroller. You know, that sort of... <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> uh, but also... She has a good heart. I mean, and, and she is genuinely interested in, in Anissa. So that, that things are not simple. You know, that life is complicated. Motifs are mixed. Um, that it, It's all very murky. I, th- I think what I don't feel is that, you know, on the one hand, we have sort of evil white liberals. I mean, you know... <laughs> <laughs> the other hand, we have saintly brown people. That's not how that's not how life is, you know. That's not how I see it. Um, it, it you could read both um, Harriet and Joe as sort of examples of white privilege, because they seem to have it all. You know, Joe especially. Everything's been handed to him on a plate. He's handsome. He's rich. He's um successful uh you know he's he's got it all going on but he's got his own demons i mean and many of them and harriet also has her own you know deep-rooted issues and problems so while i totally recognize that feeling that yasmin has um she also sort of has to learn about the complexities of life as well I love it that you you introduce that nuance so well and and maintain it throughout the novel because I, I think those those sorts of binary stereotypes are probably quite I think they are quite dangerous in writing and, and you've navigated that beautifully. 
Um, let's look for a moment at Yasmin's brother Arif, also such an interesting character, his sense of limbo, restlessness, alienation. I must say it answered some questions for me about the tension between, for example, Islamic religion and how young people interact with it in the context of the developed world. Mm -hmm. Well, <clears throat> Arif sort of wears his religion on his sleeve, I mean, quite literally at, at one point. Um, He's somebody who I think we start off as feeling that he's quite lost and directionless and, and he's Yasmin's annoying little brother. Um, he's always sneaking around with his girlfriends. Uh, his father's constantly angry with him because he hasn't got a job. He did a sociology degree, which is totally useless as far as his father's concerned. But then... Um, you know, all the fury that Shokats, his father, feels with Arif is what we come to understand, I think, is that it's predicated on fear. Because as a young Muslim man, he's at more risk of being, you know, profiled, he's at more risk of discrimination. Um, so the anger is based on fear, and the fear is based on love really. So, yeah, that's sort of the dynamic that's going on between Shokat. Shokat is, is, is not religious, and Arif, who um, at least wears the trappings of his religion. Yes. Um, I, I think that's going to ring true, that that idea of wanting to protect your son from what you know is the reality out there is going to resonate with a lot of, um, a, a lot of women all over the world, black women, for example, who feel they've had to protect their, their sons from violence in the United States, that there are certainly parallels here in South Africa as well. So, so that was quite meaningful. But, but Yasmin's father, Shokat, of whom you've just spoken, is, is such an intriguing character. I think you've captured so well his sense of gratitude for having escaped that constrained life in, in Bengal, and, and not Bangladesh, as I originally said, Bengal and having made, uh, on the face of it, a much better life for himself and his family in Britain. But he's also making this conscious effort constantly to remind himself and those around him that he is British, that he speaks the language well, that he's a man moving forward by eschewing some of the customs or the religion of his past that are no longer really relevant to his new life as a British citizen. I mean, it's he's very, very proud of the life that he's made. I mean, he's come from a, a very, very poor background. Um, and he, the, the fact that he's made it as a doctor, I mean, I was sort of loosely thinking of a, a friend of my father's, in fact, um, you know, he, he, he would carry his shoes to school uh, <laughs> as a kid to save the, the shoe leather. Um you know, and he he made it to be a, a doctor in 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 the UK. So so that that incredible journey that he's had is a source of um, great strength and a source of pride. But it's also again, it's um, if you've only just climbed the ladder, the rungs can feel quite slippery. So this is a more generalised fear of his. You know, he needs to keep his family on the up you know and the fact that he thinks that Arif could slip back down is utterly terrifying.
I, I love your description of of that of of the the rungs of the ladder being so slippery as you as you've begun to climb them, and I think that that again is a, such a such a resonant image. I must ask about the issue of secrets because, of course, they they also form an important kernel of this novel, and uh, I suppose Joe, in some ways, is a really good rupturing uh, of this belief that Yasmin has about her own family being a particularly secretive one. Um, and his mother, Harriet, being this open, liberated woman whose life is is quite literally an open book in so many ways. Um, you make an important comment there about how and why secrets are kept in different cultural contexts. I think I was also sort of toying with this notion, or maybe subverting a little bit, this notion that, you know, South Asian cultures are more closed and secretive and therefore somehow more backwards in inverted commas. Um, and, and Yasmin, you know, starts off really feeling that Joe's family operates in a much more normal and healthier way. So, you know, in the, the Garami household, we don't talk about things. We're not open like they are. Um, that's she sort of envies that. But in fact, Joe and Harriet's relationship <laughs> is anything but healthy, and they they do talk openly about um, so many things, and yet the really important things they don't talk about because they don't understand. Um, yes. And Joe's got massive secrets, so. Yeah, so uh, I, I guess secrets are, you know, also uh, along with sex, a kind of narrative um, force in the novel. But it's only when people face their secrets and face some very difficult truths that they actually start to move past them. I mean, there's so much more that is revealed in this novel, many more characters. We don't have time to explore several more unfoldings of the plot that really challenge the characters in very harsh ways, I think. Uh, but I also want to reflect back on your work as a naturalized British writer of partly of Bangladeshi descent, writing in the context of what still appears, in, in my view anyway, as a South African looking in, uh, to be a hugely conservative society in which publishing takes particular care of its white writers while overtly alienating writers of color at times. And, and I think we've seen this in the Kate Clanchy scandal of late. I wonder, Monica, how you've dealt with criticism of your novels, like Untold Story, which fictionalized an alternative reality for the late Princess Diana. I mean, that novel offered me some really unique insights, and yet... Some critics were, in my view, unfairly hostile in their reception of it. Do you ever feel like the writing establishment wants you to stay in your lane and the moment you write about characters outside of your ethnic background, you're punished for it? <laughs> yes. That, that's a, a big yes to that question. Um, you know, it, it, it's again, it's complicated. And I... I think it comes from a lack of understanding, I think, rather than an outright, you know, hostility. It comes out of ignorance. So when I wrote my um, fourth book, Untold Story, that you've just mentioned, I mean, really the motivations for, for writing it 
were not that dissimilar to the motivations for writing Brick Lane. So in the in in the first book, Brick Lane, Nazneen is um, a virgin bride. She's uneducated. Uh, has a marriage, an arranged marriage for a much older man. Um, is uh, has an affair with then a, a, a much younger man. She's subject to the scrutiny of her wider community, and then she decides, you know, that a man is not the way to salvation, and she sort of reinvents herself. Now that could more or less describe <laughs> describe Lydia, my fictional princess in untold story you know i mean of course there are opposite ends of the spectrum but fundamentally with nasneen you know brown woman in a sari is the kind of person who may um somebody might walk past them and not grant them their full complex interior life that we all have you know not grant them their full humanity and I think strangely enough that happens at the opposite end of the spectrum with huge celebrity where you know they can be subject to you know enormous criticism or you know laughed at or put in the tabloids and somehow they are not granted (laughs) full humanity either so the you know that 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 was really my driving force for both of those books, and what's been interesting to me with the publication of Love Marriage within the context of what you're just asking about is that people have been saying oh she you know she's gone back to um, safer ground or she's gone back to familiar territory. <laughs> you know, sort of brick. I think there was a, there was a headline. Um, it's Brick Lane for twenty twenty two. It's like, what are you talking about? You know, yeah. it's so stupid. <laughs> well, I'm glad you've come out and said it. And but, Monica, how does one overcome that? Um, do you begin the process of educating? your own industry as publishers or, or the, the reading public out there to say that every writer has access to this wonderful thing called imagination and, and you're writing your imagined version uh, of, of someone's life when you are writing a novel and, and living in the context in which you are and interacting with the range of people that you do, it, it is within your power to imagine whatever type of human being into a character that you'd like to. Yes, Yes, I think that's all we can do, and that's all we can keep saying. I mean, it takes... I think things are, you know, starting to change. I think, um, you know, certainly over the last 10 years since I published my last novel, I think things have started to change even since BLM, or at least there's lip service being paid. Um, I think the debates are being had, uh you know, people are standing up and saying these things, whereas 10 years ago, I don't remember, you know, any of those discussions being had. So maybe that's progress. I don't know. These things are slow. They're slow to bed in. Um, But yeah, you know, let's hope that's starting to change. 
Well, on, on a far more positive note, it's wonderful news that, uh, you know, that there's been a hotly contested auction that has resulted in New Pictures acquiring the TV rights for Love and Marriage. I understand um, that, you know, the BBC is developing it, as you mentioned earlier, and, and you're actually adapting the novel for the screen. Uh, what's the most challenging element of adapting a 500-page novel into a script, Monica? Well, funny enough, it's not the length because TV is a very story-hungry medium. So in general, I think the problem of adapting novels for the screen is that you've got to generate more story. Now, I don't have that problem with this. I mean, this, this, this novel is packed with story, fortunately. The, 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 the most challenging part is structuring it. So there's certain things that happen later on in the novel that need to be brought forward for TV purposes or vice versa. Um, there's, there's certain um, things that play off stage in the book that need to be on stage, you know, um, brought to life for television. But I, but I enjoy those things, you know. I'm, in, I'm enjoying spending more time with the characters. Uh, mm-hmm. Certain bits of backstory that... I wasn't able, you know, I could only reference in the book, I can now bring to life. So, you know, I'm loving it, actually. And and I love it that you can actually spend time, more time with these characters, because it is always a little sad (laughs) saying goodbye to them once the novel is published. Such a fascinating conversation, Monica, and I think there's probably another one on the cards for when the the TV series comes out and is distributed in in our parts anyway. I look forward to, to that. Um, but I want to thank you sincerely for, for spending time with our PageCast listeners and me today. It's really been wonderful del- delving into love and marriage with you. And of course, for our listeners, the novel is available at all good bookstores, so rush out and get it. And thank you very much for, for tuning in and listening to our conversation today. If you haven't already done so, please sign up for the PageCast mailing list so we can keep you updated and in the know about future episodes. But many thanks to Monica Ali for joining us today. Monica, thank you for your time. Oh, thank you. I enjoyed it so much, Joanne. Thank you. Well, thank you, Monica. Uh, From me, Joanne Joseph, till the next episode of PageCast that will be presented by someone else, it's goodbye. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of PageCast. We have an incredible lineup of author interviews, so head over to our Facebook and Instagram and follow Jonathan Ball Publishers to stay updated and in the know regarding future episodes. Thanks for your interest in the story behind the story.